So I am pumped up about this series, The Names of God. Actually, a little more specific, the experiential names of God. Because we can experience God and all of who He he is through His names. As an example, we, we, we get this, that somebody can become so consistent at what they do that that they have to be renamed to represent what they bring to the table in a relationship or a contract. For example, there was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers that was so consistent in his career at staying cool, calm, and collect when there was pressure all around him that they renamed Joe Montana, Joe Cool. And Joe Cool was so cool under whatever pressure he found himself that they also gave him another name, and that name was the Comeback Kid. So when Joe Cool or the Comeback Kid left the 49ers and he went to the Chiefs and he signed that contract, they gave him millions of dollars to come through and represent his name. There's a basketball player named Johnson who was so consistent at pulling magic shots out of the air that we know him as Magic Johnson. There was a football player for the Dallas Cowboys that was so tall, 6'9", that Ed Jones is known more as too tall than even Ed. And too tall was known to be able to bat down passes and bat down field goal attempts. There was another Dallas Cowboy named Daryl Johnson that would just, he was a fullback and he would barrel through the front line and create an alley for a running back, Emmett, to follow behind him. So they named Daryl the Moose. Well, you know of the boxer, Mike Tyson, whose hits were like a sledgehammer of iron. So they named him Iron Mike Tyson. And who can, of course, forget Evander Holyfield, who was such the real deal. He was such an awesome specimen of an athlete in the ring that we know him as the real deal Evander Holyfield. Or how about, uh, how about LeBron James, who did the unthinkable and surpassed Michael Jordan and all of his uh, basketball feats and records and championships that he's just known as King James. Because he so dominates the court. Or how about the new, the New York Yankees baseball player Reggie Jackson, who was so consistent in the off, in, in the after season, in the playoff games to shine that they named him Mr. October. How cool is that, huh? That somebody can become so excellent and so consistent at bringing greatness to the table that their names don't suit them any longer and they're renamed for what they bring to the table. And when somebody enters into a contract with them, they fully expect them to come through and be consistent with what their name says that they can do. I've got a question for you. What is the greatest sadness on your heart? What longing just seems like a closed door in a yesteryear and that creates greater sadness in your life? If you knew that nothing you attempted tomorrow would be impossible, what would you step out to achieve? What is your greatest burden, deepest longing, greatest fear? Now, 
If I were to tell you my name, shame. You would know what to call me. But that's about all my name could bring to the table. But there is someone who in a moment can calm your greatest fears, can heal your deepest sorrows, can restore your lost dreams, and can in a moment reveal your highest calling and provide the power to achieve that calling simply by speaking His name. Do you know these names of our God? Do you? Now, my parents named me uh, after a couple of uh, country western legends. Well, there was, the, there was the author, Zane Gray, who wrote western novels. And then there was the classic movie, the western movie starring Alan Ladd, simply called Shane. The end of it, Shane, come back if you've seen that one. So put those two, th- two together. Thus, you have my name, Shane Gray. But that's all my name brings to the table. But God... says, I want you to understand not only what to call me as I reveal my names to you, but as I reveal my names to you, my names are going to represent not only what you can call me, but my names will represent who I am and who I want to be in your life. Amazing, isn't it? God's names then, if you will, are a contract. A contract for what God will bring to the table when we place our faith in Him. What God will bring to the table when we walk obediently to Him. What God brings to the table in our life when we walk in close relationship with Him. So I am so excited about these names of God. And we'll be speaking throughout this series on the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. Jehovah Rapha, God is my healer. Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. Maybe you've heard these, but have you accessed all of who God is and all of what He wants to bring to the table in your life through these names? Because, again, these names are more than what we call God. These names are a contract so that we know what God brings to the table in our relationship with Him. Pretty awesome, isn't it? So today, I am excited because we're talking today about Jehovah, or let me back up, we're talking about Elohim. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, open it with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And you will all have this verse memorized by the end of the day. If you don't already, you probably do have this verse memorized, if not intentionally, accidentally. Here we go. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, now that tells us something about God right there. He's a baseball fan because it starts out in the big inning. Just joking, a little preacher joke. Speaking of preacher jokes, do you want to know what kind of car that the disciples drove in the book of Acts? A Honda, because they were all in one accord. All right, I'll just, I'll be done with the preacher jokes. Let's just dive into the text, shall we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot that we know about God right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God says, this is, this is the first statement in His Word to us. This is the first statement in His revelation to us through the 66 books. And it is packed with who God is, and it is packed with information about what God wants to do in our lives. In the beginning, God. That word God in the Hebrew is very specific. For example, if I were to tell you I love the Dallas Cowboys... I love my dog. 
I love pizza. I love my family. I love my wife. I love Jesus. And I love the church. Well, I use the same words to represent a lot of different loves. And I obviously don't mean the same thing when I say I love the Cowboys or pizza or my dog as I do when I say that I love my wife or God, do I? But that's the limitations with the English language. It's been defined as a, as a blunt tool. The Scriptures were written in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, and the New Testament, and Greek for very specific reasons. For example, in the Hebrew, the word hope is not simply used generically. Where there's specific kinds of hope. There's tikvah that communicates a hope and a promise. There's yakal that communicates a hope through waiting on God. Um, in the New Testament, El peace it communicates a waiting of, 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 of expectation. Or in the New Testament, there's various words to describe words so that we understand the word of God. There's the grothe word. There's the logos word. There is the rhema word. Or love, for example, in the Greek is very specific. There is agape, unconditional love. There's phileo, friendship love. There's storge, affectionate love. There's, there's, there's eros, some more chemistry, sort of love. And in the same way, there are several names for God when He introduces Himself to us throughout Scripture. And right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see in the beginning, God, and this word, God is Elohim in the Hebrew. This word, God, is Elohim. And right here, there is a theological heartful and mindful about God. He's Elohim. This word Elohim is the plural form of God. Interesting, isn't it? We read down in chapter 1 of verse 26 that God said, let us, plural, make man in our image. So right here, off the bat, in the opening statement of Scripture, we see God revealed the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit present at creation. In the beginning, God, Elohim. There is the Trinity right there. And again in verse 26, and God said, let us, plural. That's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity present in creation. So God is three. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God is one. Because we see that the verb associated with the plural form for God, Elohim, is a singular. It's a singular verb combined with the plural subject. And God, Elohim, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created singular, the heavens and the earth. God is three, yet God is one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, and God said, let us, the plural, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, make man in the likeness of our image. He, singular, created singular them. Three in one. This was a mystery. Still a mystery. It was a greater mystery. But this is what we call progressive revelation in Scripture, where God reveals a truth and then progressively unpacks that truth. And as the Scriptures unpack, we see this this, this, this revelation progressively being revealed to us in Scripture. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read, as this revelation progresses in its explanation to us, For unto us a child is born, written in 700 B.C., and unto us a son is given. Any idea who this is? Jesus. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How can this son be an everlasting father? How can this son be a mighty God because of Elohim? He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And then we read in John chapter 1 of the New Testament, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, and the Word became, what? Flesh, and made His dwelling among us. We see that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And in the beginning, Jesus was God, and God became flesh. It's this progressive revelation, unpacking. We read in the book of Colossians that through Christ all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. All things were made by Him, for Him, and through Him. And by the power of His Word, He holds all things together. Who created all things? Jesus. Yet, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is God? God is Elohim. Who is Elohim? Elohim is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, plural, yet functioning as one. Now, just a quick note about the Trinity that we're unpacking here, and then we're going to continue to, to walk through this text and see some amazing things about our God, Elohim. Just, just some quick things to note. The, the, the first is this about the Trinity. We do not subscribe to something that's referred to as um, successive Trinitarianism thought. What is successive Trinitarianism? Successive Trinitarianism is that God the Father had his God hat on, and then it was time for Jesus. He took the God the Father hat off on, and he put the God the Son hat on in the Gospels. And then when it was time for the Holy Spirit today, he took the God and the Father hat and put it in the closet, and he put on the God the Holy Spirit hat. And so God was the Father, and then he passed the baton off, and then God was the Son, and then he passed the baton off, and then God was the Holy Spirit. We don't subscribe to successive Trinitarian We subscribe to what Scripture teaches, and Scripture teaches not successive Trinitarianism. Scripture teaches simultaneous Trinitarianism. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God simultaneously. And this is one theological truth that we see unpacked in Genesis 1. 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created. Singular. And now, we're going to see some remarkable things about God through His creation. Did you know that God never once tries to prove Himself in Scripture? He never tries to prove His existence. He never takes us through some apologetic course to prove His existence. He just begins with this statement in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God. With the assumption that we're going to assume that there is a God. He never tries to prove himself. He simply says, it's the fool that says in his heart that there is no God in the Psalms. Or in the book of Genesis, they traded the truth of God for a lie, professed themselves to be wise. They became fools. So God never tries to prove himself. He just simply states, look, this is who I am. Because I've created you with a void in your heart. And I've put my fingertips all over the world so that there is, you, should, you should understand that there is a God. For example... If you see a watch, you know that there's a watchmaker out there somewhere. If you're in 
a vehicle, you know that there's a Ford manufacturing company out there somewhere. If you see a design, you know that there is a designer. If you see a painting, you know that there's a painter. If you see a creation, you know that there's a creation. And that painting and design tells you something about the designer, the creator, the watchmaker. If it's a Rolex watch, and it might tell you something about the watchmaker, that they are very attentive to detail. If it's a Van Gogh painting, you know there's a painter, and you know that that painter is disturbed. Genius, but disturbed. If you see a sculpture, a Michelangelo sculpture, you know that there's a sculptor, and you know that that sculptor is brilliant. If you listen to a composition of Beethoven, you know that there's a composer and you know that that composer is a genius. And when we see the creation, we know that there's a creator. Now let's look at some descriptions of this creator from this text that we're going to unpack. First of all, we see in Genesis 1.1 that the creator, Elohim, creator God we see that He's transcendent. What is transcendent? Transcendent is otherly. For example, if there's a kindergarten teacher and there's some peer pressure going on about who's cool and who's not cool amongst the kindergarten class, we hope that that kindergarten teacher would be transcendent from that peer pressure, wouldn't we? And right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see Creator God is transcendent. Let's unpack this. Here we go. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see that right here, God was in the beginning and God created the beginning. Therefore, we see that God is transcendent above time. In order to create the beginning, he had to exist before the beginning. And if he existed before the beginning, that means he's independent of the beginning. He's transcendent of time. He is eternal. This means that time is an issue for you. Time is an issue for me. But time is not an issue for God. Time was an issue for Abraham and Sarah when he was 100 and she was 90 and they still hadn't been able to have a child. But God said, is anything too difficult for me? I am transcendent. I function outside of time. Not only is God transcendent and functions outside of time, God is transcendent and functions outside of matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens are space. The earth is matter. And God existed before time. God existed before space. God existed before matter, which means that He is spiritual. Everything that is in our dimension exists in the dimension of time. We think linearly. God transcends that. Everything that is in our dimension functions within space and functions within matter. And God existed before space and matter. Why do we know that God... How do we know God existed before space and matter? Because He spoke space and matter into existence. So to speak space and matter into existence like time, He had to exist before space and matter. 
So we know that God does not exist in the realm of time. He is transcendent of time. He's eternal. We know that God transcends space and matter because He existed before it. So He is spiritual. So right here, we see that God is eternal. Right here, we see that God is spiritual. And He is the one who instigated all time and all space and matter. Now, evolutionists will tell you that everything that is came to be because of the grand force of nothing. (laughs) Everything that is came to be because of nothing. Let's just think about what nothing is for a moment. Nothing is less than our least something. What's our least of something? Well, our least of something might be a, a gnat. That might be a least of something. Even less than a gnat would be a mote of dust that you only see because it's suspended in a beam of light. Well, that's less than a gnat, but that's still something. Atheists and evolutions say everything came to be because of something that's nothing instigated at all. And we know the least of something is a gnat or less than that, a mote of dust. But, but still, a mote of dust is something, not nothing. Well, what's less than a mote of dust? Less than a mote of dust is, get this, that in which rocks dream is less than a mote of dust. Think about that. That in which rocks daydream about is nothing. And evolutionists, and atheists, and even agnostics toy with the thought that everything that is, the crashing oceans, the majesty of a dolphin exploding through the surface of the water and crashing back down again. A majestic sunset. The cosmos arrayed in all of their constellations and galaxies. The intricacy of a baby's eye. The detail in their hand and knuckles and fingernails. The beauty of love and hate. The mountains that are stacked 10,000 feet deep and the oceans and canyons 20,000 feet deep. The atmosphere and oxygen, the earth at its perfect tilt at 23 degrees, the perfect distance from the moon. Otherwise, tidal waves would encompass all of our continents. Everything that is was created in all of its perfect array by the sheer force of nothing. No wonder Scripture says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. We see something about this God in Scripture. His name is Elohim. He's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He is one God. And He is transcendent above time and space. And He existed before time and space. And He is the master designer, the architect, the engineer, the sculptor, the painter, the designer who created it all. And we go on to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that this God is not only transcendent, but this God is present. And 
verse 1 continues. Verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was on the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we, we see that this transcendent God is also imminent. He's present. He's present. He's now. We see in Jeremiah that God is everywhere at once. We see in Psalm chapter 139 that wherever you go, the Spirit of God will be. You cannot escape God. Wherever you go, He's there. Always present. And He's with you. And He loves you. And He knows your name. So we continue. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see that the Spirit of God, who is God, hovered over the dark of the oceans and the deep when it was formless and void. So we see that God is transcendent. We see that God is present. And then I like this one. As the text unfolds, we see that God is extravagant. So as the text unfolds, and I'll let you go back and read chapter 1 on your own, but as the text unfolds, we see that God created the stars. God created light. God created animal life. God created vegetation. But He didn't just create it. Watch this. God created it for it to be perpetuating, recreating. For example, if you plant an orange seed, an apple tree doesn't grow. If you plant a cherry seed, Seed, a lemon tree doesn't grow. The scripture says in this terminology in chapter 1 that things give fruit, seed bears fruit according to its kind. So a cherry tree bears, a cherry seed bears a cherry tree. An apple seed bears an apple tree. A fish bears a fish. You bear a child, a human, and so forth. Everything is perpetuating of its kind. This speaks to the extravagance of DNA. Your DNA, in one strand of your DNA, there is more information. Check this out, guys. In one strand of your DNA, there is more information packed in it saying if you're going to be right-handed or left-handed, if you're going to be blue-eyed or brown-eyed, or have a blue eye and a brown eye, or if you're going to uh, be given to the sciences, if you're going to be given to the arts, and what your children are going to look like, and what your personality is going to be like. The information in just one strand of your DNA is the blueprint of who you are, and there's more information packed in the DNA in your body in just one cell than there is all of the information that goes into all of Ford manufacturers' uh, uh, computer software manufacturing all of their cars and designs. There's more information packed in one strand of your DNA, then there is all of the information that is packed into a NASA program that launches a space shuttle and brings it safely home. God is extravagant. Look at the plants. They recreate. He didn't just create things. He created things to be perpetually recreating. I've painted a canvas before, but the canvas was static. It was constant. It was still. It was inflexible and it was in moving. But when God created everything, His creation continued to perpetuate and recreate itself. Is this not extravagant? And not only that, is this not is this not? meticulous and elaborate because He created you with specific detail with DNA. And the information packed in there is glorious. 
You know, I was uh, driving to church this morning with my wife, and we swung by in Crowley, and we picked up one of our awesome youth, Decoven. And when we were driving out here, I asked Decoven, I said, Decoven, how long would it take you to walk around the earth? If you just started walking three miles an hour, how long would it take you? He said, hmm, four years. That's a pretty good guess. Did you know that if at three miles an hour you started walking right now and said, we'll see you later, and you were just going to walk all the way around the earth and say there was a bridge to go across the oceans, you were just going to walk all the way around the earth at three miles per hour, we would all wave by, and then in 345 days, you would be right back at this point. That's pretty cool, huh? There's a guy who actually attempted it. Of course, he only walked the continents because he couldn't walk across the oceans, and it took him four years. Because, of course, he had to factor in sleep and eating and, and crossing the continents, or crossing the oceans. Four years. So, if you were to walk 345 days at three miles an hour and never stop, you would walk across the entire planet. That's a big planet, right? Now, what if there was a horse... And this horse could run at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Say you were to strap a saddle on, onto that horse, you were to mount that horse, and you said, you kicked, you kicked your heels on the horse, you said, let's go. The horse takes off 186,000 miles per second. How long would it take you to go around the earth? Do you know, you would circle the earth seven times in one second. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Now, say you told that horse, all right, let's go. And then you just adjusted the, the reins and you kicked your heels again. And then that horse took off at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. How long would it take you to cross from one side of our Milky Way galaxy to the other? Check this out. Going the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. It would take you 100,000 years to travel from one side of the galaxy to the next. And if you kicked your heels even more and continued to explore, you could cross our universe at 186,000 miles per second in 100 million years. Our universe is big, isn't it? And ask the Coven, why do you think our universe is so big? Why do you think God made it so big? And he said, well, I think perhaps God made the universe so big so that we would always be exploring. We would never, never run out of, of, of exploration. I said, you know, I think there's some truth to that. But I believe that the real answer is spelled out for us very clearly in the book of Isaiah and also in the book of Psalm. And we read, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for you. The universe is big. And that is an understatement. And God said, if you ever want to try to wrap your mind around or rest your heart in my love for you, I want to give you a metaphor. As high as the heavens are above the earth, this is how much I love you. My love for you is exhaustive. It is unconditional. It is eternal. It is infinite. And you can never reach its limits. I love you. This is what we know about God. Elohim, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one God 
Three in one. And it's a mystery. But this is our God. And this God of ours, this God of ours is transcendent. This God of ours is extravagant. He's ever-present in your life. And He's meticulous in all of the details that He's planned for you. So what is our takeaway? Our takeaway is twofold. And this is my action step for you. I want you to understand this. Time is a problem for you. Time is not a problem for God. Therefore, we have hope. Because what are the names of God? Listen. God's names are His contract to you. Joe Cool or Joe Comeback Montana's name is a contract for the 49ers or the Chiefs. LeBron, King James' name is a contract for the team that he's playing for. Ed Tall Jones' name is a contract saying, what I'm going to bring to the table if you contract with me to be on your team. God's names are a covenant. They are a contract of what God wants to do for you, with you, and through you. And God's name that we looked at today and explored is Elohim. He is the Creator God. The Creator God, listen to this, makes a way where there is no way. The Creator God can speak something out of nothing. The Creator God can recreate and bring beauty out of brokenness. And this is the heart of our Gospel. God creates a new creation in us when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we trust what He did for us on the cross to wash away our sins, He creates a new creation in us so that the old is gone and we are heaven bound. But not only that, God recreates beauty where there is brokenness. This is the power of redemption. So this is your action step. I want to challenge you to contract with God based upon His name, Elohim, the mighty Creator. And rely upon Him to create something out of nothing in your life. And rejoice in Him knowing that He's going to recreate beauty where there was brokenness. You see, this is nothing that we have to shake God by the collar and, and talk Him into doing. We're not asking God to be something He's not. We're not asking God to do something He doesn't want to do. We're not asking God to do something that's inconsistent with His Word. God wants to contract with us based upon His name. It's a covenant that we enter into God based upon trusting Him for who He declares Himself to be in His name. And God is Elohim, meaning He wants to create something new in your life. We read in the book of Isaiah that God wants to create a stream in the wilderness and He wants to create a river in the desert. He wants to create a way in the wilderness. Isaiah 43.19 But not only does Creator God want to create a way in the wilderness and a river in the desert, but Creator God also wants to recreate beauty where there's brokenness. This is what He does. Isaiah 61 I will make beauty out of the ashes. I'll give you joy for sorrow. I'll give you dancing where there's weeping. I'll give you praise where there's a faint spirit. Will you let God be God? Will you covenant with God based upon His name? Now, we see what God brings to the table, don't we? God brings His creative power to the table. 
What do you bring to the table? How do you enter into this contract with God so that the weight of His promises based upon Elohim is applied to your life? What do you bring to the table? Trust. Faith. Believe God to be what God wants to be in your life. Faith. Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Just bring faith. Let your heart rest in who God is and let your heart rejoice in what God promises to do in your life. Will you do that? Would you stand with me, please? Let Creator God be Creator God in your life. Let Creator God be Creator God in your life. You don't have to talk Him into being Elohim for you. He is Elohim. This is what He does. You just have to covenant with Him. He brings the power of His name to the table and you bring faith. The just shall live by faith. And this relationship begins when you trust Jesus to pay for your sins on the cross. So let me pray with you now. If you've never trusted Christ to pay for your sins on the cross, we want to give you that opportunity right now. Just call out, Jesus, save me. I believe you paid for my sins on the cross. Because you would rather go through the agony of the cross for me than to live in the glory of heaven without me. Jesus, forgive me. Save me. Based upon the blood of Jesus and your work on the cross. Make me a new person. A child of God. Heaven bound. Forgiven and righteous. And now, if there's a sadness in your heart, there's a sorrow in your heart, if there's a loss in your life, if there's a dead end, if there's weariness, if there's a wilderness, let Creator God recreate in your life. Let Creator God bring something out of nothing. Let Creator God bring beauty out of brokenness. This is who He is. This is what He does. Let God be God. And again, it's faith. We rest our heart. We rely upon God. Rest our heart knowing that God is going to do something beautiful in our brokenness. Knowing that God is going to make a way where there is no way. A stream in the desert. Something out of nothing. Let your heart rest in God. Don't stop there. That's not completed faith. Let your heart rejoice in God. Knowing that He will be Elohim in your life. He will be Elohim in your life. Father, thank You for showing us who You are. You are Elohim. You are Creator God. We rest in that. As we respond in worship, just let your heart rest in Creator God and all He can bring to your life. And let your heart rejoice in Creator God and all He's going to do in your life. Let's respond.